Holy Father, we come to you, Lord, and we're so very, very grateful and that you are the God of all comfort, the God of grace, the God whose love covers all sins, the God who is willing to work with us where we're at, the God that is doing that perfect work in our hearts, the God who is willing to be long-suffering, the God who understands that we are made of dust, prone to failure, the God that loves us anyway. And Father in heaven, we pray as we take time out to look into your word, that Father in heaven, you would bless it uh, to our hearing, uh, change our hearts and our minds, renew us, Father, so that we might be um, people who would um, present ourselves well to others so that you would be glorified by our lives. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so um, we're here in Luke chapter 22, and we're going to look at verses 31 to 34. And no, I don't have a, a whiteboard out with any kind of cartoons or illustrations. I probably should have. And if I did, I probably would have put a big sign, a big warning sign that says, Warning, Thin Ice. Okay? Because quite frankly, uh, a lot of us walk on <laughs> thin ice. But let's take a look here at uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34, and maybe you'll understand what I'm talking about. He says here, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Have you ever been um, warned and chose to ignore the warning? I uh, recall an incident at my uh, place of work. Uh, we had just received a brand new piece of equipment and this machine had a couple of stations on it and because of the process uh, we needed these stations heated to uh, sometimes 400 plus degrees so very hot very hot and uh, above these stations were these signs danger extreme high temperatures do not touch I mean very obvious signs uh, for anybody to read and we were in the process of validating the equipment to make sure that they were reaching proper temperature and doing what they were supposed to do. And so normally there were plexiglass shields in front to protect people, but we had to remove these shields in order to gain access to the equipment and put in our temperature gauges and everything that we needed to do as we were working on it. Well, an engineer uh, came on the floor and he stood here before this station that we were validating. <laughs> and I could see it in his face. I could see it in his eyes. But he sat there and he read the sign. And he looked at the heated station. And he read the sign. And he looked at the heated station. And I'm not kidding you. He went right over there with his thumb. And he planted his thumb right on that heated plate that I think at the time was like 450 degrees Fahrenheit. Now I guarantee you his thumb did not stay there long. But when he removed his thumb, what he left behind was a perfect impression of his fingerprint. All the little whirls and stuff. It just took that hide right off of his thumb. And in spite of the signs and he knew what was going on, in spite of all of that, uh, this educated man <laughs> just had to touch that station with his thumb. The word of God is full of warnings, isn't it? It's full of warnings that we read that we should pay attention to. Uh, Proverbs 19.11 says, Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. So we're warned a lot in the Bible. Let me ask another question. Have you ever warned others about something, only to have your warnings ignored 
and they go ahead and do it. Have you ever done that? Yeah, Jeremiah ran into that same problem in his day when he was sent by God to an erring people. And he wrote in Jeremiah 6.10, he says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. Isn't it frustrating when you try to warn somebody about something and they just ignore your warning? It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. And then one more question. Have you ever failed to warn someone about something? And then the very thing you failed to warn them about happened? Don't you feel terrible about that? I know I do. Colossians 1.28 says, Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. You know, sometimes uh, warning others is not always pleasant, is it? Because you never really know, you know how they're going to respond or react to your, to your warning. Um, they might consider it meddling in their affairs. Uh, you might be called a busybody. I even had one guy called me a, I've never heard this before, a Budinsky. You're a Budinsky. I've never heard that before. But that's, that's possible. Or maybe you're the kind of person who's kind of timid. Right? You're kind of timid. You're kind of timid. You're kind of fearful. Jeremiah was that way. Timothy was that way. But yet these men still warned others they stepped up with God's help and they warned others you know I had a friend who would always say if you love them then you'll tell them the truth if you love them you'll tell them the truth Proverbs 26, 27.6 says faithful are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful now Jesus loved his men and I also believe I do I believe that even He even loved Judas. I do. For God so loved the world. So Jesus loved his men. And uh, I think Jesus here is warning his friend Peter. And just like Job of old, um, Satan wanted to sift Peter like wheat. In other words, um, Satan wanted to put Peter to the test. He wanted to put Peter to the test. He wanted to test Peter's loyalty, Peter's fidelity, right? Um, the devil's intention was to prove to the Lord that for all of Peter's boasting, um, his fidelity, his faithfulness was non-existent. He wanted to prove to the Lord that uh, Peter was nothing but chaff, Nothing but chaff. And so the devil was permitted to do so. That's what it says here. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. You know, we know what sifting is all about, don't we? You know, I can remember as a kid, uh, my mom would um, sift the flour before she would make biscuits in the morning for breakfast. And I was just a little little guy, and I remember asking my mom, "Why, why do you, why do you do that? Why do you, why do you sift the flour before you use it?" And she showed me why. Back in the day, you had to do that because sometimes there were little weevils, right? Little tiny bugs in the flour. Well, that just grossed me out as a little kid (laughs) to know that there were bugs in the flour. But that's why she sifted the flour. She was to remove those little weevils. And that's what sifting is all about. It's to shake out of the wheat or the grain what you don't want in that wheat or that grain. Or if you don't want bugs in your flour, then you better sift your flour. So that's what the sifting is all about. It's all about separating what you don't want. And this, this sifting is what Satan wanted to do. He wanted to shake up Peter. He wanted to shake up Peter. 
And the desire that uh, the devil wanted to do, he wanted to agitate uh, Peter's faith to prove that it was nothing more than, or weevils, <laughs> chaff or weevils, that Peter was buggy. All right? That's what he's wanting to prove. Now, I looked at this, and I was praying over it. And I don't know about you guys, but I thought it was kind of interesting that Jesus addressed Peter by his name Simon. And in fact, he said Simon's name twice, didn't he? Simon, Simon. He said somebody else's name twice, too, didn't he? Martha, Martha. Yeah. So he said his name twice, and usually if the Lord mentions your name twice, (laughs) yeah, it's pretty important. You probably ought to pay attention. And I thought, why, why why did Jesus call him Simon twice and didn't call him Peter? Because he does later on call him Peter. Why, why Simon? Why did he call him Simon? Well, I got out my little concordance and I looked up the name Simon. And Simon is a Hebrew name and it means a hearer or hearing or to hear or to pay attention or to listen. So in effect, what was the Lord saying? Listen. Listen, Simon, Simon, listen, listen. You see, what Jesus was getting ready to tell his friend Simon was a matter that Simon better hear about. He better listen to what he's getting ready to say. He better pay attention. And that he said his name twice emphasizes the importance of what Jesus is getting ready to tell him. Right? Kind of like the old town choir. Hear ye, hear ye. Simon, Simon, you better pay attention to what I'm getting ready to tell you. I can remember many a time my mom and dad having to tell me more than once because I was so thick-headed or stubborn. Something else about the name Simon I got to thinking about. Simon is a name given to him by his natural parents, his mom and dad. Right? Now remember, Peter is the name that Jesus gave to him. Right? Now Simon is the name that his natural parents gave to him. Peter is the name with potential. It means a stone or a rock. So that was a name that Jesus had given to Peter because he saw in Peter potential. That's why he gave him that name. Simon is the name that mom and dad gave him. That's that natural name. That speaks to that natural nature. That natural nature. His human nature. That natural man. That natural nature that is weak and prone to failure. That's what he was addressing. Because it was in this nature, this human nature, this natural nature, that Simon was so confident and so boastful about that Jesus is trying to warn him about. Jesus is trying to warn him that Satan is getting ready to sift him because of his self-confidence confidence in self let me say something else about this sifting the word desire here in Luke 22 31 that's an interesting word Uh, the definition of this word or the application of this word is to ask permission from someone that a certain person is turned over into your control. So you see what this is going where this is going? You see Satan had asked permission from God to sift Peter. Because Peter belonged to God. You see that? So he had asked permission to sift Peter. 
Just like he had to ask permission with Job. Just like he had to ask permission with Job. And the Lord allowed it. Now, he only allows it with stipulations, with boundaries, with limitations, that even the devil himself will not transgress, just like in the life of Job. He was allowed to do so much, but not beyond that. Not beyond that. Same thing here with Peter. He was allowed to sift Peter but within certain limitations, within certain boundaries. And you know what? We've got God's promise on this. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted. Above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. So there may be a time that God will give the enemy permission to sift you, but be, be, be assured of this, the enemy can only sift for so long. All right? For only so long. And that's what the sifting is. It's a testing. It's a trial. And as we talked about the sifting, the purpose of the sifting is to separate the unwanted chaff from your life. The unwanted chaff from your life. Now, Satan's aim is either to destroy us or at least discredit us in the eyes of God or in the eyes of others. But you know, the, the purpose of God in this sifting is to refine us, is to purify us, is to take away that chaff from our lives, from our characters. Where the enemy seeks to ruin, God's purpose is to perfect us and mature us, refine us. When I worked for a major airline oh, years ago, uh, the skilled technicians would bring a plane in off of the, you know, out of service, and they put it in a bay, and then they'd put these x-ray machines all through the inside of this aircraft, and then they would depopulate the bay from personnel, put up barriers and everything, and then they would pressurize the inside of the cabin, 10,000 feet, 20,000 feet, 30,000 feet. And, and, and each state of uh, pressurization, they would take x-rays from the inside of this cabin. And so through the process of pressurizing and stressing the, the fuselage and taking the x-rays, what this aided them in doing is uh, it aided in, in disclosing stress fra- fractures and stress points in the plane. And when they found them, then they could direct the airframe mechanics and the other mechanics, okay, we've got an issue here, need to go in here and take care of this or take care of that. Um, That's what the sifting is. It's kind of like a spiritual x-ray. And what it does, it reveals to us because God already knows. But it reveals to us those stress fractures in our character that need to be addressed. And that's what's going on here with um, Peter. Philippians 1.6 says, and this is a verse I hang on to all the time, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, how long does that good work continue? Yeah, until, until you stand face to face with the Lord. It's always going on. It's always going on. Now, what's the key in all of this? Well, the key is our attitude isn't it? When we're being sifted, it's your attitude during the sifting process that's key. 
That's the key in this whole situation. How one responds during the sifting. This is, this is, this is the important part. This is the important part. You see, the enemy wishes to exploit a weakness of Simon's. And he's really good at that. He knows you. Because <laughs> he knows human nature. And he knows where to apply the pressure. To get you to fail. To get you to fail. But the Lord also knows those very same spots. And he wants you to become perfected in those areas. Mature in those areas. He wants those areas to be fixed. To be fixed. There was a crack in Simon's character. And he quickly made it evidence. When he said here, very defensively, I think, in verse 33, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Right? The Lord put a finger on a pressure point. (laughs) And Peter responded, not in a good way. He became very defensive. In another place, in Mark 14, 29, Peter says, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Pressure point. Flaw. Now, I believe Peter meant every word of this. I believe he was as, as, as uh, sincere as a heart attack. I think this man was totally f- sold out to the Lord. I believe when Peter expressed this, he was drop dead serious about the whole thing. He was ready to go to prison. He was ready to go to death if that's what we required. In fact, he was so sure of himself that even if the others would fail to follow Jesus, not him, he would be right there thick and thin. I honestly believe he believed that about himself. But that was the issue, wasn't it? Right there is the issue. He had confidence in what? Himself. He had confidence himself. The eyes have it. (laughs) Right? He had confidence in himself. Self-confidence. And this is what the enemy is an expert in in exploiting. That self-confidence. If there's anybody that knows anything about pride, it's the enemy. It's the enemy. And so he'll find those weaknesses in the character and he'll exploit them. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You know, in regards to the heart, now there may be more to this than I know of, but there are at least two things that we need to be careful about as far as our hearts. And the one, the, one of them is uh, the deceitfulness of the heart, right? The heart is, is, is desperately wicked and deceitful. Jeremiah, now I can't remember now. Huh? Seven, thank you, dear. I'm surprised Ron wasn't on that one. So it's the deceitfulness of the heart, and then there's the lust of the heart. The lust of the heart. There might be more. But I think those are the two big ones. And I think it's the first of these two that Peter fell prey to. He was deceived by his own heart. He was deceived by his own heart. He was proud about his faithfulness to the Lord. And that's generally what the enemy seeks to exploit. What you're the most proud about. What you have the most self-confidence in. That's what, he, that's what he'll exploit. Remember the story when Peter and the boys were in... I don't mean to say it like that. When Peter and the fellows were in the boats. Because Jesus had sent them away. And Jesus came walking on the water. And Peter saw Jesus walking on the water. And Peter shouted out, Lord, let me come to you. And Jesus says, yeah, come on, Peter, come on out here. What did Peter do? He hopped right out of that boat and he started walking toward the Lord, didn't he? But then when he started looking around, right, and he's thinking, what in the world am I doing out here? What happens? 
And he starts sinking. And so what does he do next? He calls out to the Lord, save me, Lord. And so Jesus gets him up out of the water, puts him back in the boat. You see, Peter knew he couldn't walk on that water unless the Lord had told him to. Okay? In this situation, in Luke 22, Peter was self-deceived by his own self-confidence. Right? He was certain, he was convinced that he would not forsake the Lord. And so he stood strong in his confidence that he would stay faithful to Jesus. That's why Jesus gave permission for Peter to be sifted. Because that was chaff in Peter's life that needed to be dealt with. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before fall. You know, once again in this chapter, we read the issue of pride. Man's pride is the root of man's problems. It's not lack of money or anything. It's pride. It's our pride that gets us into trouble. It was pride that caused the covering cherub to fall. And it was pride that the serpent appealed to man to in the garden. Remember what he said in Genesis 3, 5? For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. That appeals to the pride. To the pride. You know, that's what the world touts and preaches, isn't it? And you see it on television, you, you read about it. If you're on YouTube, that's the message that the world preaches. Trusting in oneself, self-confidence. Uh, you deserve it. Uh, if you set your mind to it, uh, if you dream big enough, you know, you are worth it. It's, a, it's this mentality, this kind of attitude that's out there. You know what? You know what's you know who's left out of this message? Yeah, God is. God has no place in this message. And don't you see who's truly being exalted? Yeah, man, yourself. That's who's being exalted. That's who's being exalted. Uh, one of the world's gurus of self-worth says Self-respect, self-worth, and self-love all start with self. He says, stop looking outside of yourself for your value. Another self-esteem guru says, self-confidence is the most attractive quality a person can have. How can anyone see how great you are if you can't see it for yourself? That's the message that is so popular in the world. I'm headed that direction. (laughs) You're absolutely right. And that's the same message that you're going to hear from um, your more popular preachers. And it's a popular message because you know why? It itches, you know, yeah, it scratches that itch in the ear, doesn't it? Sure it does. Self-centered confidence, a trusting in oneself. It's a virtue. It's a virtue. In the, even in the church today, uh, one of the more popular preachers, he says, consider this. You are today what you believed about yourself yesterday, and you will be tomorrow what you believe about yourself today. What does that even mean? Another popular preacher says, uh, this is what he preaches. He says, uh, the greatest discovery in life is self-discovery. Until you find yourself, you will always be someone else. Become yourself. Again, I don't understand what that means. It's not even biblical. 
Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. That's a narcissistic gospel. And it's so very popular. So very popular. And it's because of this narcissism, it's because of that that most people won't listen when they're being warned. Because it, it, it exposes a weakness in the idol of self and it's almost blasphemy to admit that you have a flaw much less have to do anything about it that's the message being preached one of the warnings of the bible 1 Corinthians 10:12 says wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall Now, someone pridefully will say, or find fault with the Lord saying, how, how could Jesus allow Satan to sift Peter? If, if God really loved Simon, uh, why would he even allow that to happen? Well, my answer to that is it's because Jesus loved Peter that he allowed it to happen. That was some serious chaff in Peter's life. And to allow Peter to continue on like that, is that that loving Peter? No, that's not loving Peter. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth, sifteth, (laughs) every son whom he receiveth. You know, some of God's people look upon this sifting as a calamity or proof that God doesn't really love them. And that's not what the Bible teaches. It is because God loves us that he doesn't permit his sons and his daughters to continue on with an attitude or in a lifestyle that is dangerous and damaging to them. Again, it's the intention of the enemy to ruin Jesus' disciples. But that's not God's intention. See, that's a lie from the devil. That's a lie from the devil during that sifting process. You're going through this because God's mad at you. You're going through this because God hates you. You're going through this because you're a no good. Am I not right? No, God's doing this because he loves you. He loves you. It says here that Jesus prayed for Simon Peter. Luke twenty two thirty two. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. This word fail is an interesting word, where it says that thy faith fail not, the word fail is used in some um, to describe the eclipse of the light of the sun by the moon or by the moon by the earth. So it talks about eclipsing the light. Eclipsing the light. Uh, sometimes we allow our fallen human nature to eclipse the light of the sun from shining. And sometimes we allow the old world to block God's light from reflecting and onto the lost. Okay? And so Peter, uh, so Jesus is praying that um, Peter's faith uh, won't be eclipsed by the sifting that he's getting ready to go through. He's got to get that chaff out of the way. Because that's what's eclipsing the light he's got to get that shaft out of the way and like I said the sifting is permitted with the purpose of separating the chaff from the grain and this is essential this is, this is, this is essential and here's something else that's kind of interesting <laughs> as the enemy is permitted to sift the disciple 
He's actually assisting in destroying (laughs) the very thing that Jesus hates or Jesus wants to remove from that disciple's life so the light can shine. How frustrating it must be to be the devil sometimes when you're permitted to go out and, and, and try to destroy somebody and God turns your work over on its head for that person's good. How frustrating that must be for him. But praise God, that's the way it works out. Praise God, that's the way it works out. Again, the attitude of the siftee is key, isn't it? See, I think Peter took offense at this warning about himself. Because I think he believed more in himself than what the Lord told him. Don't we do that sometimes? He believed in himself more than what the Bible says. Well, I know what the Bible says, but... But... Anybody know what Philippians 4.13 is? That's another verse I hang on to a lot. Anybody willing to take a stab at it? Thank you, Diane. Ron, where are you at in all this? <laughs> I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You see, a lot of the folks who um, quote that verse... They're confident on the I can do part. And they kind of overlook the through Christ part. You know, they see the I and the me on the outside of this verse. But they fail to see the Christ in the center of this verse. And Christ is the pillar of this verse. Because the I and the me are hanging on to that pillar. If Christ is not at the center of your life, then something or someone else is. It's Christ that gives you the strength. It's Christ that gives you the ability. But unfortunately, so many folks trust in the I and me part. And like the old hymn says, that's sinking sand. (laughs) That's sinking sand. Verse 33, he says, and he said unto the Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt deny that thou knowest, that, that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. See, even after the Lord's warning, Peter is adamant about his loyalty. I mean, to hear Peter talk, he is, he is the tower of faithfulness. He's, you know, undaunted courage. Surely, Lord, you're wrong about me in this matter. Surely you've got it all wrong about me. You know, brave words. But sometimes brave words are proven false by one's actions. Jesus still continued to warn his friend and in fact he even told Peter he said this is what you're going to do in just a very short time just a matter of what? hours if that this is what you're going to do this is what you're going to do and Peter you're not only going to deny me once or twice but three times Three times. The number three in the Bible denotes completeness. So Peter's denial was a complete denial. Right? This tower of self-confident strength collapsed. Absolutely collapsed. And we're going to look at we're going to look at that in a little bit. Maybe next year. <laughs> we'll get there. Now Mark tells us that after Jesus had foretold 
how Peter was going to deny him three times, I, I can picture Peter getting a little heated here. In Mark 14.31 it says, But he, speaking of Peter, he spake the more vehemently. If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. That vehemently. You know, he's, he's getting agitated. He's, he's, you know, he's really putting some force in those words. I think he's even getting a little angry that the Lord would even suggest such a thing. Speaking vehemently. See, that's generally the reaction of people who are prideful and who are unwilling to hear the truth about themselves. Now, I'm going to share a little personal testimony. And this happened 40-some years ago. So when I give you this testimony, you don't think bad of me, please. Okay? When I was brand new in the Lord, 40, 45 years ago. I still had a lot of the world in well, I still have a lot of the world in me. But back then, I was fresh out of the world, okay? Fresh out of the world. I knew I was saved. Without a doubt, I knew I was saved. But I was just ignorant about what it really meant to be a follower of Jesus. I didn't have anybody to help me. I just I had someone tell me how to get saved and I got saved but I didn't have anybody to okay what's the next step what do I do now So all I all I needed all I knew to do knew to do <laughs> was read 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 my bible And I was really excited about what I was reading I was really excited about what I was learning I was really excited about what I was seeing about this new life of mine Okay, so back then, I smoked a little pot, maybe a lot of pot. And while I was smoking with my buddies, I would have my Bible in my hand, trying to witness to them and share to them what I was learning from God's Word. That's the scenario. So while I was in my car one day, talking to one of my buddies, and we were sharing back and forth, I had my Bible up on the dashboard, and my buddy looked at the Bible on my dashboard, and he says, you know, I always knew that that was a front. And I didn't know what he was talking about, and I asked him, so what do you mean, what do you mean by what's a front? What are you talking about? And he pointed at the Bible sitting right up there on the dashboard, and he says, ah, that Bible stuff you keep talking about. I always knew that was a front. Well, when he said that, I got mad. In fact, back then, I was of the mindset that I was just going to punch him straight in the nose because of it. And I got mad and upset, and I said to him vehemently, (laughs) no, it's not a front, it's real. Well, he looks at the pot in his hand, and the Bible, and the pot, and me, and he goes, really? Yeah. Sifting. Sifting. What else could he think? And so I came away from that little incident saying, okay, Lord, I got the message. I got the message. See, this is the position that Peter was placed in. He believed himself capable of standing. He didn't think he needed conversion. Possibly he didn't even think he needed the Lord's intercession. He thought he was going to stand. He thought he was going to stand. But you know what? What Peter needed is exactly what we need. We also need conversion. And we also need the Lord praying for us. Because we're not going to make it. Now the word conversion 
that talks about a repentant attitude. That's talking about a willingness to change your heart and your mind. That's a, that's a willingness to make the necessary corrections that God is telling you about and sifting you about. To have a repentant heart attitude. Proverbs 25, 4 says, Take away the dross from the silver, and there shall come forth a vessel for the finer. You see, that's what was going on in Peter's life. That was, that's what was going on in my life when that young man said what he said. That's what goes on in all of our lives because it's a perfect work that's continued until the day we stand face to face with Jesus. Now, how successful we are in this is dependent upon our hearts. Are we willing to say, yes, Lord, you are right about me, and please help me to be the way you want me to be? Attitude is key. A repentant heart attitude is key. And then on top of that, we have the intercession of the Lord. He's praying for us. Romans 8.34 Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. You see, the Lord may permit the sifting, but he never leaves us completely within the enemy's control. He's praying for us. He's praying that the sifting has its desired work. Again, attitude is key. Attitude is key. 1 Peter 1.5 says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Honestly, folks, you're going to fail them. You're going to fail them. But we are secure in him. You're going to fall, bloody your knees, but we are secure in him. And Jesus is interceding for us as we endure the sifting. And even though we might believe we are pressed beyond measure, and we may fail like Peter, we can be confident that our high priest is interceding for you and for me at the right hand of God. That should be encouraging. That should be encouraging. And you know what the wonderful part about this whole story with Peter is? We know he failed him. We know he denied him three times. We're going to look at that. But you know what the Lord did not do? He did not hold this over Peter's head. Did he? No. He didn't repeatedly remind Peter. Remember that time when he never did that. Do you know what Jesus did? He restored him. He restored Peter. He restored him. And then Peter, the name with potential, became that stone that Jesus saw in him. And he became a leader of the church in Jerusalem. He became a fearless preacher of the gospel. He wrote two of the epistles in your Bible. And he even became a martyr for his faith in Christ. People make mistakes, people will fail, people will fall. People will prove weak and frail. But the Lord is always working in their lives. Always working to bring that full potential that he can work. Not what the self-esteem gurus are talking about. 
but bring us to that full potential that he can work and that he can see in our lives. Now let me say a word to some of us who are judgmental. Some of us who are self-righteous. Some of us who are unforgiving. Who are you to hinder this restorative work in the lives of others? Because you know they're out there. They're out there always reminding you of your failures, always reminding of that time, remember when this and that happened? Or they've got some snide little remark to keep you under their thumb? Who, how dare you to hinder the work of God of grace and love and forgiveness in another person's life? You should be ashamed. And let me tell you something. God sees that attitude. And if you don't repent, guess who's going to experience some sifting? Peter's self-confidence should serve as a warning to each of us. We need to be careful not to lie upon our, rely upon our own strength or our own abilities or our own self. You know, there was an old-time preacher one time. I thought that was pretty good. He says, those who think themselves secure are more exposed to danger than any others. And then he says this. The armor bearer of sin is self-confidence. I thought that was pretty good. The armor bearer of sin is self-confidence. Proverbs 14.26 says, And the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. It's good to have confidence, healthy confidence. In fact, a healthy confidence is a great benefit as long as the foundation of that confidence is rooted in the Lord. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your warnings. But we also thank you, Lord, that your love covereth all sins. We thank you, Lord, that you're willing to work with us where we're at. We're thankful, Lord, that you will not always chide us. But, Father in heaven, you are working in each and every one of us. I pray, Father in heaven, I do not be a hinderer of your grace in another person's life. But instead, Father in heaven, I pray to be a partaker, a partner in that grace. And help, Father, to edify and build up others. Uh, For the glory of Jesus Christ and for your honor, we thank you and praise you. Amen.